We're turning now in our Bibles to the book of Jude. You'll take your Bibles, your copies of God's Word with me. Let's find our place in the epistle Jude. And we're looking this evening, coming to direct our attention and our focus as we come down towards the end of this marvelous, meaty epistle from God's Word. We are coming down to verse 17 through 23 this evening. Verses 17 through 23. Our title for tonight's study is The Believer's Strategy for Apostate Times. And again, our verses are verses 17 down through verse 23. The Word of God reads, But you, beloved, remember the words which were spoken before the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how they told you that there would be mockers in the last time who would walk according to their own ungodly lusts. These are sensual persons who cause divisions not having the Spirit. So what do we do about that? Well, then Jude goes into verse 20 and he says, But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And on some have compassion, making a distinction, but others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. This is the word of the Lord. Here we pick up right in the middle of Jude's teaching, beginning in verse 17. And by way of introduction, Jude continues to sound this alarm to remember. To remember what? To not forget. We see that Jude continues to repeat his admonition found in verses 5 through 7. Verses 11 through 13, reminding his teachers of the danger of, excuse me, his readers of the danger of false teachers that pose as a threat to the health of the saints, their own personal walk with Christ or the church, the life of the church. And that is why he calls them to remember in the same way that Peter calls his readers to remember in 2 Peter 1.12. He says, for this reason, I will not be negligent. Notice Peter's determination in his epistle, 2 Peter 1, he says, I will not be negligent, readers, to remind you always of these things, though you know and are established in the present truth. This is the writers that Peter is writing to. He says, I know you, I know your faith, your sanctification, your grip upon the gospel. I know that you have a grasp upon the truths of Scripture. But he says, I will not be negligent to warn you, verse 13, yes, I think it is right as long as I am in this tent, notice, to stir you up by reminding you, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent just as the Lord Jesus Christ showed me. Moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my departure or my decease. So like Peter, Jude has this same spirit of equipping the church, reminding them of things they've already heard. And friends, I would remind us here this evening, much of what we study are things we have already heard. They are things that we are called to remember. They are things that we are called not to easily forget. And so that is what Jude is doing here, exhorting his readers to remember the truths that he has already told them. He moves in a cyclical way, coming back to themes that he has touched on before. So in one sense, if you ever have a preacher who repeats himself, we all understand that can be difficult to bear, particularly if it's within the same message, you know, where they're just repeating themselves. But I will say this, hopefully I don't do that too much, 
But I will say this, the, 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 the writers of the New Testament are, are not ashamed to do that. Uh, they're, now, they're, they're saying things in different ways. They're, they're coming back to themes. They're not just simply saying the same thing again and again. But they are not afraid. Jude is not afraid to say, no, don't forget, remember uh, these things that he has already brought into, into the forefront of their uh, admonition. Here in our text, Jude calls the believers to remember his warnings. And now he transitions in verses 20 through 23 what he has already negatively told them in descriptions of false teachers and apostles. He has been teaching us, as we've been studying week after week, negatively what to avoid. Negatively be on guard. This has been the theme of Jude's practical epistle up until this point. But tonight we now transition to positively what to do. What do we do about these things other than having a composite, a profile, an understanding of how apostates work, what they have looked like historically within the Old Testament, how they are like these individuals, as Jude has given us historical analogies. But now he comes to the shepherding aspect of saying, now you, beloved, verse 20, but you, beloved. And this word that Jude uses for the saints is a term, beloved, it's not necessarily a term that uh, we use a lot today if we were to say, hey, beloved, or that would be normal in the life of the church. But even then, we've kind of gotten away from it. But this is a word for family. It's a familiar word. It describes relationship. And within the context of the family of God, as he addresses the church, we have the same heavenly father. We are the bought ones, the purchased ones. Go back to verse 2 with me, just, just by way of unpacking this word. Jude has already defined the beloved, who he's writing to. Who is that? Verse 2, to those who are called, to those who are sanctified by God the Father, to those who are preserved in Christ Jesus. This is now who Jude transitions back to, but you, beloved, who he has a special relationship with. Now, he's already exhorted them, verse 3, to contend earnestly for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. So he's addressing the how. How do we do this? So verse, or excuse me, point number one that we'll frame our thoughts around this evening, and our goal will be to get through point number one. It's the believer's diligence. The believer's diligence. And if time allows, secondly, the believer's duty. The believer's duty. But first of all, the believer's diligence, number one. And we see here right off the, right off the bat in verse 20, the doctrine of sanctification is, is brought to the forefront. Again, verse 20, but you, beloved... Building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. The doctrine that is undergirding this admonition, this exhortation from Jude, is, is one of these classic passages in the New Testament that addresses the Christian life or the disciple's life. What are we to do in the here and now? What does it look like? Of course, this doctrine of sanctification is this aspect where Christ is growing us as his bride in purity and in holiness, both words which are often missing in the modern church today. To mention or say the word holiness or purity, people think of stringent standards or they think of legalism. That's unfortunate. What we see here is the doctrine of sanctification. To be sanctified literally means to, to be set apart. Now, the idea is to be set apart for God, unto God. The doctrine of sanctification, brothers and sisters, and holiness and purity, let me just remind ourselves, it's not so much of what you don't do as much as it is as, as what you do, as you're set apart as unto the Lord. So 
Phariseeism and legalism, as we've kind of been bringing it to the forefront in our study through Matthew's gospel, is known primarily for what they don't do, the rules they keep, that type of thing. And that is the main focus. But sanctification is being set apart unto the Lord. It's positive, not just negative. Does that make sense? Where we can get off track is where we simply, this is what we're known by, what we do not do. Now, there's aspects to sanctification where when the believer follows his conscience and as he grows by the Spirit, grows in the Word, he, he feels as if God, there's explicit things in Scripture that he should not do. And then there's areas, gray areas, that the believer follows the Holy Spirit and says, as my life is growing in holiness and I'm set apart unto the Lord, I don't feel like I can do that, just a, by way of example, in good conscience. And it's not because of that or them, but it's because of him. It's with an eye or a focus of being set apart as unto the Lord. There's many illustrations that we could give, but for sake of time, we'll just continue to move on. I think, I think you guys understand that. So the believer's diligence, it is to protect ourselves, to shepherd ourselves in a sense, you could say, that we would remain upon the path of sanctification, to grow in sanctification or to grow in the means of grace. This is what Paul is addressing in Romans 12, 1 and 2, when he says, I beseech you, therefore, brothers, that by the mercies of God, you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And I'm just going to hit pause right here for a second. Church, you always need to have your spiritual antennas begin to go off when you begin to hear passages like this, the doctrine of sanctification, the doctrine of holiness, the doctrine of just growth and grace, and it's referred to or mocked as legalism. Certainly there is a thing called legalism, but this isn't it. But in the modern church today, there's often a spirit of let go, let God. Whatever's going to be done, God will do. He's sovereign. He, he is sovereign in my salvation, and he's sovereign in my sanctification. And that... It's foreign. The doctrine of God being sovereign in our sanctification, that is foreign in Scripture. God is sovereign in salvation, but God has called us to holiness. That God has called us to pursue the means of grace. There's, a, there's an obedience for us to follow. That is the theme of what we'll be seeing here tonight. And that's what Paul says. Paul says, in light of justification, in light of the glorious gospel of grace, it is our reasonable service to present our bodies as set apart unto the Lord. As a living sacrifice, it is our reasonable service. Do not be, verse 2 of Romans 12, he says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. But that's exactly what modern Christianity espouses. Oh, just don't worry about it. Be conformed to this world. You're going to, be, um, you're going to not be used of the Holy Spirit if you're not just easygoing. Uh, you're, going to know, you're not going to know how to relate to the crowd. You're not going to know how to relate to modern man if you don't just go with the crowd, talk on their terms, live their way, and God will use you. Well, that's not what we see in Scripture. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So this is the believer's diligence. And so Jude continues here in verse 20 by giving us four succinct understandings of unpacking that, what he means. The first one is... And we'll break these down in subpoints with just words, uh, words that begin with the letter P. The first one is progressing. Progressing. What is it that we as the disciples of Christ, as believers, are to be diligent in? Well, verse 20, notice progressing. But you, beloved, the bride of Christ, those saved by the grace of God, be building yourselves up on your most holy faith. So here Jude invokes the first virtue of the evening, and it's our faith. 
Our faith is something that is not static. One thing we see in the scriptures is that we, we are not just static or like in a neutral zone. We're either growing or we're backtracking. Um, the idea of backsliding is we're either, we're either growing in grace, but to not be growing means we are toppling backwards at a, a rapid speed. But there's no middle ground. So, but oftentimes when we think about, as we mentioned this morning, uh, our, our flame or our love for Christ being lukewarm or cold, we minimize it by saying, well, I'm just not doing well right now. I'm just kind of in the, just, just not, my love is, we own it, but we think of it as just, I'm just kind of stalled out. But friends, the picture is much more than being stalled out. The picture is that we are falling backwards. We are escalating backwards if we are not progressing or moving or growing uh, in the faith. It's a very serious thing. So Jude calls us to, to grow strong in the faith. The idea here is, is that we must become doctrinally strong, listen here, if we would withstand apostasy or the influence of apostasy. We must know the sword of the Spirit. We must memorize the sword of the Spirit if we would know how to do battle for the truth. We can't do battle for the truth if we don't know the Word of God, right? But yet so many people do try to do just that. I was in a conversation with a sweet lady, just a sweet lady. I, I could tell she's sincere. I, knew, I know her heart means well, just means well. But she was quoting a, a, like a, in just a realm of Christianity, just a vanilla, humdrum Christian author who's not necessarily known for anything specific. It's just always uh, just hum. I'm not going to go any further, but she was quoting him like, like we should be quoting the Bible. And I'm concerned for it. You, know, you want to say, listen, hold on a second. We need to know doctrine lest we be swept away. And by the way, listen, uh, the apostate's fishing hole is in the women's section of the Christian bookstore or Barnes and Noble of, of and I know that's going to offend some of you, but it's just true. The apostate's fishing hole is, the, you just go, I was in Barnes and Noble the other day with one of my daughters and we're just looking and, and uh, I just got the hibby-jibbies just looking at it. I just thought, oh my goodness, I mean, this is dangerous what you just see right here. And by the way, it's not just in the, the women's section, but, but there is a, there is a, uh, there's an attack uh, upon women today, no doubt, and their discernment. The discernment factor of their faith, for sure. Well, if we would grow and become doctrinally strong in the truth and in the faith, what Jude tells us, we need to be building ourselves up, literally establishing ourselves on a foundation, uh, growing in God's preserving grace, growing in systematic theology, understanding the truth and the doctrines of Scripture, growing in spiritual things, understanding that our faith... And our minds are our muscles. Our mind is, is like a spirit is an actual muscle, but we must exercise them. We must grow them or else we, we lose them. The point I want to make here as we think about growing and building our most holy faith is I think oftentimes people think I've I've read that, I've been there, I've done that. So now I'm just gonna coast. But friends, it doesn't work that way. We must continue to grow in the things of the Lord or as long as God allows us to live or be here, or else we lose spiritual things. I've learned to start carrying around a, uh, just an old-fashioned journal and just to write things down. The second, as I'm meditating or mulling upon the things of God, things come to my mind that are just insights, but yet they fly away. I think, oh, I'll, write, I'll remember that later. I'll, I'll try to remember to, to say that in my message. And I don't say it because I forget it. I don't write it down. So I know if it happens to me, it happens to others as well. But here Jude calls us to growth and spiritual discipline to grow in our faith, to study the Word of God, to live out the Scriptures, Acts chapter 20, verse 32. 
So now, brethren, Paul writes, he says, I, command, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up. The same language Jude is using here, that you build yourselves up. Well, how do we do that? By the word of his grace. Here Paul says, I commend you to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among those, all those who are being sanctified. This phrase that Jude uses and Paul uses to build you up means literally construction. It's a construction term to construct you. 2 Timothy 2.15, Paul tells Timothy, be diligent, Timothy. Notice here this idea that Paul uses in Romans 12, present yourselves as a living sacrifice, growing in the things of the Lord. Here, be diligent to present yourselves, Timothy, or yourself, Timothy, to study, to be approved unto the Lord, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So since I said what I said loosely a second ago about how the, what was it, the apostate's fishing hole is in the women's literature section of a, of a Christian bookstore or Barnes & Noble, well, listen, what is the need for men, Christian men? The need is to study truth, to rightly divide the word of truth. Okay, then so what is, it, what is the need for women? Need is the same, to rightly divide the word of truth. Oh, okay, well, what is the need for the teens? Exactly the same, to study the truth of Scripture and to learn how to rightly divide the word of truth. Oh, okay, well, what about the children? Surely theirs must be something different. No, not at all. On their level, of course, understood, but it is to teach them truth, teach them God's word, that they would grow, as Peter describes in 1 Peter chapter 2, as newborn babes, that they would desire the pure milk of the word, that they would grow thereby. And indeed, if we have tasted that the Lord is gracious. So this is what, what Jude is calling us to. This is progression or, or progress. This is language for sanctification, to be growing in our most holy faith. Church, let me ask you here this evening, how are you growing in the things of the Lord? How are you growing in your faith? How are you able to progress? If you were able to reflect as we passed out that list of questions, that little sheet uh, at the new year that's meant to be just a helpful guide, in what ways are evidences of grace that you can point to? What about if you asked your spouse, if you were to say uh, to your wife, men, or wives to your husbands, or to a good friend, in what ways have you seen God's evidences of God's grace clearly at work in my life? Now, number one, what a humbling question, but a normal one. Would to God that we would hear that more often in our marriages, in our friendships? How are you doing in the things of the Lord? How have you seen God working in our life? Friend, you know I'm quick to anger or impatient. Do you see me help growing and do you see God's kindness to me? Do you see that the Lord is helping me through this? Help me. Give me. We all have blind spots, right? Godly friendships and relationships that we have in Christ can help us as we examine ourselves to be growing in the things of the Lord, building ourselves up. Now notice here in our passage that the language that Jude uses, this is not optional. It is in the imperative sense, going back to Jude verse 20. This is a command. Literally, you are to grow in the sovereign grace of Christ. You are, all of you, to be building yourselves up. Literally, to make progress. The word can be rendered as to, to like an edifice that grows higher and higher. And what is it that we're to grow in? Well, I've used some cross-references, but just to use Jude's own teaching. Verse 3, the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. 
And so practically speaking, that means to study the Word of God, the means of grace, to memorize it, to commit it to our soul's care, and to ask the Lord to use it in our life. This is objective truth. This is Christian doctrine. This is the preaching of the apostles. This is the preaching of Christ and the finished work of Christ, His resurrection, His ascension, His return. Friends, this is not new. Acts 2.42, the early church, they continued. What did they do? They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in the breaking of bread and in prayers. So may the Lord help us as we consider Jude's admonition to do that, to be progressing. How are you progressing? Secondly, what is it the believer is to be diligent in? Well, what we find here in verse 20 is in our prayer life or praying, just succinctly praying, praying in the Spirit. This is the second virtue that Jude brings in, not only our faith, but we are to be growing in prayer. This is the habit of discipline of prayer in the life of the saint and is seeking God's will. It is praying for God's Spirit to work in our lives. It is praying that God's will, His desires, His directives, His decrees all come to pass in our life and that we submit to them with joy, asking for clarity and, and guidance. So what we find is, is when we look into the Scriptures is that the Word of God and prayer go together. What Jude has just exhorted us to do it goes dovetailing with the discipline of prayer. In fact, Acts 6 verse 4, the apostle said, We will give ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. So what we find here is that the Christian life is one that is cognitive. It's one where we are interacting in relationship with God. His word speaks to us and builds us up and grows us. And then we speak back to him through this discipline of prayer. You know, we live in an emotional age, an age that constantly is guided by and uses language like, I feel, or we feel. And so when we think about the gift that prayer is to us, is to take all that language and sphere of feelings and emotions and to regulate them, to have them guided by prayer, to take those things before the throne of God, as we saw this morning in our call to worship, Philippians 4 to not be filled with anxiety and worry, but in everything, to be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, to take those requests, to take them before the throne of God. Friends, we live in an emotional age, and so what helps us as we hear all of this language and feel all of this language and are stirred up, if you will, to juvenility or just childishness or childlikeness in the realm of emotions you know what I'm talking about. It's just what you see on the world scene today is just like kindergarten, grown-up kindergarten. Very little sobriety, very little. Um, where, is the, where, where is the adult in the building? Where's the dad? I, one commentator said, America needs a dad. What America needs is a dad who comes home and, is, and restores discipline in the sphere of the public square and the public life. And we look to the office of those and elected officials and many good people doing good work, but it's just lacking. But the good news is, is that's not where our hope or salvation is. Where is it? It's in praying to the God who reigns, praying to the God who works all things according to the counsel of his holy will. So Jude exhorts us here at verse 20 to pray. To notice here, pray or praying in the Holy Spirit. Friends, I want to ask you a question is why don't we pray more? 
Now, I do try to stay away from more language, do this more, try more hard, that kind of thing, often making points of these are fruits of or evidences of. But I would ask the question, I'm not, not ashamed to ask it this evening, why is it, because I've asked myself this question, why is it that I do not pray more? And I think I've answered my own question. You may answer yours differently, but I'll tell you this, prayer is hard work. Prayer is spiritual work. Praying is the hardest. In fact, out of all the spiritual disciplines, I would tell you, prayer is the hardest work. And what we see here in the Word of God is that we are to pray, but we are to pray in the Spirit. What is it? What is it to pray in the Spirit? Following Jude's command, how do we pray in the Spirit? Well, turn with me to John chapter 14, verse 13. I think we find our answer very simply. What is it to pray in the Spirit? It's, it's to pray in the name of the Lord Jesus. We're to fulfill this and always be praying without ceasing. How do we pray in the Spirit? Well, one clue we see here in just the Scriptures commenting on themselves is to pray in the name of the Lord Jesus. John 14, verse 13. And whatever you ask in my name, I will do, or that I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. So what is it to pray in the Spirit? Well, one thing we see here in John's gospel is to pray in the name of the Lord Jesus, which is to pray in His will. To pray in His will. One other passage I want you to look at with me as well is 1 John, going to the epistles just a couple of pages back from Jude. 1 John chapter 5, verse 14. 1 John 5, 14. And John, again, gives us a, just a beautiful cross-reference to Jude's exhortation to pray in the Spirit. 1 John 5, 14. Not only did we see in the Gospel of John to pray in the name of the Lord Jesus, to pray in His will. 1 John 5, 14. Now, this is the confidence that we have in Him. That if we, now he's speaking of prayer, the language of prayer. If we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of Him. So to pray in the Spirit is to pray in the will of the Spirit, in the name of the Son of God. I'm afraid many of us grow frustrated in our prayer lives because we view it as something that is manipulative. We think it or view it as something to get our will done in heaven, when in reality it's God's will in heaven being done in us. It is our conforming to His sovereign will, where we see in the language of, of the Lord's Prayer, the disciples' prayer, Our Father which art in heaven, Thy will be done on earth here in my heart as it is in heaven. Other teaching that we find, we will not turn to all these passages, but in Romans chapter 8, Paul gives a wonderful uh, section of Scripture describing the Spirit-filtered prayer life of the believer, the Spirit-filtered prayer life of the believer, Romans 8.16. Romans 8.16, he says, The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Then verse 26, he says, Likewise, the Spirit also helps us in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself makes intercessions for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the heart knows what is the mind of the knows what is what the mind of the spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints notice here according to 
the will of God. Now this is a default setting in the life of the believer. We are to pray in the name of the Son. We are to pray in accordance to Scripture. But as we're doing all of those things, the Holy Spirit is filtering our prayers. The Holy Spirit is sanctifying our prayers. This is active. This is ever-present. And you say, well, wait a second. I don't know if I like the sound of that. Why can't my prayers just go straight to the, to the throne? Well, James answers that clearly and says, because we pray for selfish things sometimes. We pray in sin sometimes. In fact, James says one of the reasons your prayers are not answered more regularly is because you ask of your lust, you ask randomly, you ask amiss. So, believer, don't grow disheartened at this as we think about praying, being diligent in prayer. Be comforted that as you are doing your part in sanctification, as you are seeking the Lord, God has given you the means of the Holy Spirit of God who is taking your prayers and He's filtering them, sanctifying them, and bringing them before our Father God. So they are exactly what they should be. An illustration we could give is in the springtime, oftentimes our family will take walks. We love to take walks, as I'm sure as, as you do. And uh, the summer evenings, that pleasant, the sun goes down way later, and that kind of thing. And oftentimes we'll pass by a field, and some of the most beautiful flowers are just natural flowers that are just growing out in the wild. And so our girls, as you can imagine, oftentimes are just going and picking random flowers. And uh, as kids are, they will come up with a, their own little bouquet that needs a little help, right? And they have the grand idea that they're going to give this to mom when they get home. And so they bring it to the, to the dad and they say, we're going to give this to mommy. And they say, can you carry this until we get home? Sure, 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 right? And so the father helps clean it up a little bit, takes one of those weeds and turns it into a fastener for the, the bouquet and spruces it up. It is still from the heart of the child. It is still the child's gift. It is still their idea. But the father helps to present it. Just a random very bad illustration of what the, the Holy Spirit does in the life of the believer. So, progressing in the faith. And secondly, we are to be diligent in praying. Praying in the Holy Spirit. And then the third point we want to make here tonight in the believer's diligence is position. Position. This may ring interesting to you, verse 21. Position. Notice what Jude says, going back to verse 21. He says, Beloved, keep yourselves in the love of God. Keep yourselves in the love of God. This is the third virtue, not only faith, not only prayer, but Jude reduces his exhortation here to the believers with this third virtue, and is that of love. Now, this is not speaking of salvation. As we look at the relationship, we've already pointed out the doctrine of sanctification. This is not Jude saying, keep yourself saved. And there's many points that we can make on that, but I'll just point to the preceding verses. Look at verse 24 to show you this is not what Jude is saying. Now to him who is able to keep you from falling. Now to him, Yahweh, to Father God. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, and he is able to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. So let's just off the front burner say that's not what he's saying, right? So Jude is not saying keep yourself saved in the sense of justification, but this is, again, the context here is sanctification. This is the sphere of fellowship. Go with me very quickly to 1 John chapter 1. Again, just two or three pages back. This is the sphere of fellowship. Go back to 1 John chapter, before we go to chapter 1, just look at chapter 2, verse 15. 
Now, if you know the context of 1 John's epistle, he's giving the ideas of signs or birthmarks of believing in Christ. If you say you are a child of God, then wonderful. This is how you can know. This will affirm that. And so the whole context of John's epistle as well is the sphere of fellowship. Not justification, but sanctification. 1 John 2, 15, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And this world is passing away in the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. Go back even further, 1 John 1. Notice verse 3, how John uses the language of fellowship. This is the sphere of blessing. This is the sphere of a relationship with our God as adopted sons. Notice he says, verse 3 of chapter 1, That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you, that you may also have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. Then in verses 5 through 9, we will not read through them. He begins to give these tests of saying, here's how you can know you are a disciple. Here's how you can know you are in fellowship with the Son. Here's how you can know. Verse 7, in the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son cleanses us from all sins. Verse 9, if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is child-father language. This is relationship language. This is the sphere of sanctification. So going back to Jude, verse 21, Jude's admonition, keep yourselves in the love of God. We could render it like this, keep yourself in the sphere of his blessing. Maybe an analogy we could give is as if your doctor gave you instructions that you need more vitamin D. You, you need more natural light for your health. That means don't hang out in the shade. There is a sphere where that, pot, that health, physical health benefit would be. There is a practical action for you today to take. And so in obedience to your doctor's command, you, you would go to where you're in the sphere of the light, where you're receiving that vitamin D, just a very basic illustration. In the Christian life, there, are, there is the known will of God, and there's the, uh, there is the unknown will of God. But one thing we know about the known will of God is there, there's very clear moral guidelines that God's Word lays down and makes clear for us. And so as His children, we love Him. And because we love Him... We obey him. Jesus says of his disciples, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and yet not do the things that I say? So this is the love, the sphere of relationship, fellowship, the sphere of blessing, and this is the sphere of obedience. How we can know that we are keeping ourselves, Jude 21, in the love of God, simply put as we are obeying his will. We are obeying His Word. Now again, modern Christianity doesn't like this type of language because it rubs against casualness. It rubs against uh, just, I don't know. I don't know because I don't preach it, but I often run into it. I often get a sense of, whoa, 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 that's a little stringent. Jesus is just all about love, man. It's just all, all going to happen. It's all just going to work out. Well, what we see here is that we are to follow Christ. We're to deny ourselves and take up our cross daily and follow him and yet all the while we know he's the one who's working his will in us it's not of any works of righteousness that we have done but the desire 
the habit is all showing that we are truly his children, his son, his daughters. By the way, our example is Christ. Look with me very quickly, John chapter 8, verse 29. Notice what Jesus tells his disciples. And friends, we would never accuse Jesus of being legalistic, as often maybe is on the language of, or the slipping on, off the tongue of people today. Jesus was bold in his understanding and his teaching that he lived for one thing, and that was to glorify his Father. He only did those things which glorified his Father. He abided in the love of his Father. He had fellowship with his Father. He prayed. By the way, just as a simple takeaway, Jesus, all in all is Jesus, and Jesus is everything. Jesus is the ultimate example. Jesus is the perfect model. Jesus works this in and through all of us. So if we say we're of Jesus, then we need to do what Jesus, listen here, did. If we say we're a disciple of Christ, then we cannot minimize, listen here, the demands of Christ. We cannot minimize the pattern of Christ. John 8, 29, And he who sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I always do those things things that please him. In other words, what Jesus is saying is I am keeping myself, in Jude's language, in that sphere of blessing. I am having fellowship with my Father, and I only have fellowship with my Father. Go over just a couple of pages, John 15, verse 9. John 15, verse 9. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. So disciples, abide in my love. Verse 10 of John 15. If you keep my commandments... You will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that your joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. In other words, if you're looking for peace and blessing and fulfillment and truly your joy to the max, this is it. Now think about a couple of times I've alluded to tonight that the person who is an antinomy or the person who says it's all grace, 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 would, would minimize what Jesus just says here. Would say, no, 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 our joy is full. But they would limit the whole message of Christ down to simply just grace. As if obedience to God the Father is licent- or excuse me, illegalism or some type of stringency of, of something that is a burden upon men. It is both and. God gives us the call and he gives us the grace to follow after. And friends, what a joy it is to see when we examine our hearts and say, God, I know that had you, I know you saved me because had you not saved me, I would never be saved, number one. And God, the things that I once would never be found doing or the things I found difficult or just didn't know how to do, Father, you're growing. I don't just do them. I love and delight to do them. You're growing me in these things. So I know this is truly the work of the Lord. Verse 11, in my joy, as we say with our, with our Savior, our joy is full. Well, going back to Jude, why does Jude give it in the sense of a command? Well, Jude is being a friend to us. Jude is shepherding our hearts. Jude says, keep yourselves in the love of God, in the sphere of his blessing. Obey his word. Love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Because if you do not, you will be chastened by your Father. You will be chastened by your Heavenly Father. If you would like to know more about that, Hebrews 12, 3 through 11. Hebrews 12, 3 through 11 reminds us of the chastening, perfecting love of God toward His children. 
And so, friends, listen, as Paul teaches as well, so many passages of Scripture we could, we could pull in here. Paul says, though, if you judge yourself, he doesn't have to. Keep yourself in the love of God. Keep short accounts with both God and men. Deal with things. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Make the phone call. Make the, have the conversation. But seek to honor Christ. Do not let sin go unconfessed and undealt with in your life. Lastly, verse 21, Jude, Jude's epistle, verse 21, we see the prospects, not only the progressing, the praying that Jude exhorts us to pursue, the position. Now we look at the prospects, verse 21. Notice what he says, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. Looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Jude here calls the church and reminds the church to be looking for, this word means waiting anxiously. It can mean to wait for, but it also means to welcome. And, but with both, it means with great expectancy. And so what Jude is exhorting the church to do is to look for the Son's return. Look for the return of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 1, 7, Paul says, So that you come short in no gift, eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Church, do you not find yourself all throughout the week as you read the news and struggle with sin and, and are praying for burdens and those who are sick, and you say, even so, come, Lord Jesus, come. I find myself saying that more often and more and more often saying, God, surely it's not much longer. Now, people hear that and they scoff at it as if, as if it's something that is old-fashioned or as, as if it's something that is escapism or whatever. I don't know for sure, but I'll just show you that this is the clear teaching of Scripture. Be looking. Be watching. Philippians 3, verse 20, Paul says, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also, notice here, we eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we, at, we read these and say, am I eagerly waiting? Is that... I mean, we eagerly wait for vacation. We eagerly wait for the next holiday. We eagerly wait for our birthdays. We eagerly wait for just seemingly things that pop off the calendar. But are we eagerly waiting for the Savior's return? The Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies that it may be conformed to His glorious body, according to the working by which He is able even to subdue all things to Himself. Eagerly awaiting, eagerly looking for. Well, this is our expectation. This is what our default setting is as we pursue the Lord, as we are growing in grace. So as we see here, Jude's teaching, it's not just the negative profile of the apostates, but what is it the church is to be doing? What is it that we're to be found doing? Well, in conclusion, read with me verses 20 and 21 as we look back in Jude's epistle. And I'm going to conclude by reading it all the way through. The next couple times together, we will just finish out the section. Again, Jude says, But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Spirit, be keeping yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. In other words, this world is not our home. And on some... We'll see next time together. What is our ministry attitudes? Well, we see here in verse 22. And on some have compassion, making a distinction. But others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire. 
hating even the garment that is defiled by the flesh. Now, Jude takes our attention from the profile of the false teachers, the apostates in the church, to be on guard against. He then directs our attention to our spiritual life. And now in conclusion, he directs our attention up to our reigning God. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. Lest you worry tonight, am I keeping myself in the sphere of God's blessing enough? Well, it's good to examine yourself. I'm not minimizing that. I've just taught it. But listen, rest in the finishing glorious work of God in Christ. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to God our Savior who alone is wise, be glory, majesty, dominion, and power both now and forever. Amen and amen. Our gracious Heavenly Father, again we conclude our study tonight by exalting in our sovereign God, beholding you, the God who reigns. And as we leave this place, I pray that you would strengthen this church. I pray that you would keep our eyes fixed upon you. Father, looking for your appearing, but while we're looking, we're stirring up ourselves into good works. We are keeping ourselves in the love of God. We're praying in the Spirit. We're eating on the meat of your word and growing strong in the grace that is Christ Jesus. As we saw in the scripture reading in Ephesians 6 that Mike read, we see all of those are commands for us to take up, take on, putting on the spiritual armor of God. And yet in all of it, Lord, we do it by faith in you and your power. So, Father, we pray that you would equip your church, that you would bless the church as we leave from this place and as we go forth into a new week. Father, we pray that you would help us to shine, that our speech would always be seasoned with salt as we saw the importance of what our words revealed this morning. We pray that our words would be saturated with the gospel of Jesus, that our speech would be seasoned with salt and that we would speak of the Lord Jesus, that we would encourage, we would affirm, we would call out where your spirit would lead us to call out. Father, that we would be led of your spirit and used by you. And even so, come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.